0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Boothcast. Today's Boothcast is brought to you today by Booth Times by Kobe, the new collaboration, and with our media partners, Total Sup. So, the Booth and by Kobe collaboration will be coming to you guys next week. Uh, really excited about that. We'll be throwing a few posts out, and you'll be able to get that range next week. So, if you want to find out more, please check out by Kobe's website and my own from Monday. Now, I'm going to throw you over to my interview with Shay Foudy. She's a world champion and a professional stand up paddler. Hello, and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I speak to people who inspire me about sport, business, and the winning mindset. Today's guest is Shay Foudy, all the way from California in the USA. She is an APP World Tour champion in 2018. She's a professional stand up paddler. And she has also won the Gorge Paddle Challenge. So Shay, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking with you today.
0: Yes, it's it's really cool to be able to connect and to be able to share your story with the viewers today. So can you give the viewers a bit of a snapshot into who you are, what you do and uh, where you come from?
1: Yeah, so um I am a competitive professional stand up paddleboarder. I have always been in love with the ocean. I started surfing at the age of 3. I got into the sport of outrigger canoe at 8 years old and then I started competing in stand up paddling when I was about 12 years old. So I've always kind of been a little water athlete. I've always loved the water. Um I'm currently going to school studying to get my degree in nutrition and staying busy by surfing because we can't compete right now (laughs) so yeah yeah
0: yeah awesome so when you got involved in paddling as a young kid was it a family thing that you got involved in like was it you like your siblings maybe or your parents were down paddling or was it something that you saw that you really wanted to do
1: yeah i well both of my parents both surf and love the water so i i got into water sports young because of my parents and my little brother also surfs. We, we all love the ocean. We're ocean people. But I got into stand-up paddling. Really, it wasn't my choice. It was kind of a forceful push by my mom one day. I, I was doing Outrigger for a long time. And my coach at the time suggested I do stand-up paddling. And they suggested to try it for the first time in a race, which I don't recommend. <laughs> but um, I really got into it by doing the Battle of the Paddle junior race and I ended up winning it for girls when I was twelve years old. And after that moment, I I pretty much fell in love with the sport and I've been doing it ever since, clearly since I was twelve. It took a push from my mom, which I was I hated her for that day, and then I ended up loving it. So yeah.
0: yeah and that was down at uh Doheny, the state police yeah. and it was like yeah, yeah. PPG mm-hmm. event was, oh, sorry, Battle of the Paddle event. I've sort of known it more as PPG because I came in a little bit later. But yeah. it's, it was such an iconic event. And when you were down there at uh, the, B- the BOP, what was it like as a young girl looking up to, I guess, you've been like Candice and Annabelle mm-hmm. and um, a couple of other girls who would have been really pushing it. Were they the ones that you sort of looked up to when you were coming through those junior ranks?
1: Oh, for sure. And it's really, it's really funny looking back um, about how I felt that day. Cause I remember for one being scared because I'd never been on a paddleboard, and it's intimidating, you know, to be on a paddleboard for the first time and then be racing and then be racing in waves. And you've never stood on a 12 foot six paddleboard. I was like, okay, let's just do it. Um, but yeah, I remember being down at Doheny that day. It was obviously crazy energy. Battle of the Paddle always was and so was Pacific Paddle Games. And I remember walking along all the vendors and seeing a giant poster of Candace, And she's so recognizable because of her long strawberry blonde hair. And I just remember watching a race earlier that day before the kids race. And Candace was always really involved with all the kids events cause she had her own performance paddling team. And, and it's funny cause I always wanna be, be a part of that after meeting her. But um, I remember her coming up to me on the beach just before I was doing um, the junior race. And I knew who she was because I walked around, saw these photos, watched her race. And I was already so star stricken seeing her just walk walk alongside the beach before our race went. And I remember doing the race, I did well, got first place, coming in, and um Candace walked up to me after that, and she was like, Hey, you did a great job. Like, I heard it was your first time. You should have done the like pro junior race. I'm like, no, no, like this was enough. But it's so funny looking back at it now, because she was someone that inspired me so much at such a young age, so randomly. And then fast forward, three years later, we were four years later, more, more like four or five years later, we were competing against each other and then became teammates and then battled out for a world title, like <laughs> the progression of our relationship. But it, it is really cool. Pretty cool.
0: It's amazing how, I guess, you meet your idols and then you eventually you start racing against them. I guess it's a natural progression and you become competitors and friends and rivals and all these different things. But was it someone like Candace that like, really pushing up to that next level and like, going oh, like Candace is like one, A, my idol. Then two, it's like, maybe I can start like trying to paddle with her. And then three, oh, maybe I can start trying to start beating her. And then you are eventually in 2018 battling it out for a world title with the APP what was that whole progression like? Was it exciting? Was it nerve wracking? Was it like, cause you, when you're racing your idols, you think they're like superhuman in a way. For sure.
1: Yeah. I, I honestly, that was um, probably one of the hardest things for me to kind of, I wouldn't say get over, but almost like accept the fact that I was racing someone who I always looked up to who was good, who's competitive. And I was also pretty much half the age of most of the women in general that I was racing. Um, so the, the age factor in racing against people that I always looked up to was intimidating. But um, I think I think what really changed my relationship with Candice in particular was when um, we became teammates and we started training together for a couple of years. So it was cool to race and be competitive. And then we became teammates and we, we got to the relationship of wanting each other to both do well. It was, of course, so competitive, but, it was cool it was like if if she won or if i won it it didn't matter like at least one of us won because at that point we were training partners and that was like my that was my favorite time really and so much fun at that point and then not that it wasn't pat and in the next stages but once um we got pretty close in the app world tour in 2018 and our points were pretty neck and neck and we realized that we would end that year um, one of us having the world title, one of us not. And it came down to us too. That's when it became, um, even more competitive and serious. And it was cool. Of course, we're still friends off the water, but it's just a weird feeling from going, being a little girl, looking up to someone and, and wanting to beat them one day when you're 12 years old to five years later, getting close, winning some races and not, and then becoming a teammate. And then battling out for the ultimate, in my mind, you know, prize. Like, that was always my goal. And it was just crazy that she was the person that I was always kind of battling it out for. Or, and I always kept my eyes on her because she inspired me. And also because I wanted to beat her so bad because she was so good. I mean, she's iconic. Yeah. She's, she's probably, I'd say, the best female Santa paddler that there will be.
0: Well, yeah, her her career has sort of been from like 2006 in those early races she was doing in Hawaii. It was so good to be able to speak to her recently as well on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then she's basically been there through all of it, like through like the early battle of the paddles, like and then she won like so many of them and then just kept racing, kept grinding, kept loving the sports. And it was just an awesome, awesome, I guess, as any champion sort of goes through, like Connor has as well, there's different challenges that come through along the way. And I guess you were one of those big ones who was a little girl looking up to Candice and now coming through and being able to, to win that 2018 world title. Can you walk us through the 2018 world title a little bit? And I think it was uh, New York, Paris, and what was the other one? London.
1: London, hmm Yeah.
0: And so how did it all play out for you? Like, did you do well in London to start off? I remember watching you in the sprints. We had that cool mm-hmm. little technical course. Um, can yeah. you explain that, out, explain that out a little bit?
1: Yeah, um, it was actually pretty funny how I decided to even do the tour because it was my first time really doing a series of international races or any world tour at all. I've always done like a select few I traveled for. I'd always travel like Carolina Cup and Oregon and just a, a few other um, pretty, I mean, they're all big races, but I never traveled internationally, you know? Um And really how it came about that I was even going to go to the first stop of the APP World Tour was just Dave from Infinity told the whole team, he's like, okay, we're going to do this. This seems cool. Like book your tickets. This was like a month before the race was going to start. And I'm always like, book my tickets three, at least three months ahead. Like I plan, I know. So everything just kind of happened fast. And the next thing I knew a month later, we were in London doing the first stop of the world tour, which was the most exciting thing ever and going into that race i have been training really hard that year i felt strong um it was really my first race of the season i believe it was in um june and um in the sprint race is i believe the sprint race was first i got um first place in that and once i got first place going into the long distance race in that um in that stop I just felt super confident and honestly a little surprised in myself because I was like, oh my gosh, I just kind of won that first part. Maybe I can win the long distance part. And I ended up getting first place in the long distance. And that put me at a high point count just because of the two first places and my confidence level. I felt good. I felt um, excited to do the next stops because I I was just planning on maybe just doing London. And then after that happened, I'm like, okay, well, I got to go to all the stops now. (laughs) Um, so pretty much after London was Oregon and I was still training hard. I was super pumped for the rest of the season. It was definitely my best result yet in London and Gorge happened. I won the course race. And I think, I think that out of all the races I've ever done was probably my most proud win. And, and I felt the most accomplished with that result because every single, every, every single competitive woman that was in the sport at the time was there pretty much. And, you know, Fiona Wild, it was her element. We had, we had strong wins that day. I I didn't do well in the downwind portion, but the course race I did well, I got first place and I was stoked with that. So that I had to say was my favorite, one of my favorite wins from 2018 and in in all my um, competitions. And then New York happened, In New York, I felt good. I ended up getting top three and then going into um, France, the last stop of that tour um, was when I realized Candace and I's points were super close. So that was stressful because it was like, I couldn't, I didn't have room to really mess up and I didn't have a cushion to fall on if something did happen. So going into France was the craziest experience. I ended up doing what I needed to. I I um, got good results, both in the distance and sprints. And that's when I got my world title, but it was a crazy, crazy journey to get there. It was honestly the beginning of the year was last minute and then unexpected. And then after those initial wins really fired me and inspired me to want to do well for the rest of the year and get a world title, so.
0: What were your results through New York and through Paris? Did you have wins there as well? Like, were you did you win the sprints in Paris?
1: Um, you know what's horrible? Is I don't remember exactly what I got. I won the I won the sprints in Paris, and then when it went when it came down to the distance, all I remember was that I needed to get one place ahead of Candace. and I ended up getting one place ahead. I believe I believe I was in the top five for the distance in, in Paris, and then in New York, I got second in the long distance, and then. I didn't do well in the sprint race, which really threw my points off. I would have had more of a cushion going into France, but because of New York that, that year in 2018, there was that huge, like hurricane passing through the Carolinas or Florida, I believe. And then I remember that day was insane. We had, we had lightning. There was waves. It was stormy. It was raining hard. So yeah, my result for that, um, sprint race was not great, but luckily i had better results <laughs> for the i rest. do
0: i do remember watching it now cuz i was there and i remember the the front was yeah. coming through and everyone was like oh we're going to race we're not going to race and then obviously yeah. getting down there and it was just like it was pumping it was like quite solid and like it was like yeah. then in the next day it was just like pff, nothing yeah it was crazy how it all changed there, and turned around oh,
1: i know yeah that I actually did a a little speech at a, um, middle school to all girls after my world title in 2019. And the topic was, um, conquering fear and adversity, adversity. And I talked about that race and just said, like, I told them the conditions, painted a picture of what it looked like. There was lightning pouring rain strong winds, giant swells you literally couldn't even see coming. (laughs) I'm sure you remember, but, um, and it was just, that race too really made me want to do really good in my, in the last stop at Paris because I wasn't proud with my performance just because I, I let kind of my fear and self-doubt get in the way of my performance. And um, I just want to prove to myself too at Paris that okay, yeah, we all have good and bad races and I wanted to recover from that and and show myself that, yes, you can do it. And even if you had a bad result, I wanted to just make it up to myself, so.
0: And yeah, there's like those key things that you're talking about there, like getting overcoming fear and then, and then obviously the confidence that you were talking about that you gained when you were racing in London. Like, what was it about London that made you one race well? Was it because you threw yourself out of your comfort zone? Like, because normally you talk, you're talking about like, but you had to normally book three months in advance and David said, no, we're going to go in a month. Let's just get organized and get on with it. And that was sort of like throwing you out mentally. But then when you went over there, you just raced Well, was that something in involved with like being more relaxed in your competition? You weren't focusing too hard on your training. Like what was it all about London that really, I guess, took you to the next level because you hadn't really had a lot of wins before that.
1: Yeah. So I definitely credited the whole 2018 year to I mean, the beginning, after my first couple wins in that year, I felt pressure to do well. But in the beginning of the year, I felt no pressure. I was like, at the point in my career, like I've had, I've had good results, but I never have had a significant title or win or anything like that. And in 2016, I went through a really horrible knee injury that lasted two years. And in the beginning of 2018 was when I really started to compete again after a year of recovering. Um, and so London was basically to me, like, I had nothing to lose. I w- I've never done an international race. Like, and I felt, and I felt strong. It was just, yeah, it was the, it was the mindset of not feeling pressure and, and not judging myself on how I did. Because at that point, no one cared how I did because I didn't have, you know, anyone really watching me. But then after that, it changed because it was like, oh, she won this one. Is she gonna win this one, or what are her, you know? So yeah, the 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 fact that I didn't really have pressure on me at the beginning of the year helped.
0: And how did you deal with that? So you you get to the top now. So you basically you never really had much. Um, you've been on podiums, but you never really had any wins or success. And then on the World Tour level, you have two wins. You have the sprint win and the distance win. And then you're coming into New York, and you're basically kind of expected to win again because you've already won the first two races of the year and you won the overall your big point um difference to second because you've had two wins what was it like trying to um control your emotions with that external pressure essentially because and then that internal pressure because you've won and you now you feel like you have to win again
1: yeah yeah you know i i definitely think going going through those pressures and learning to really control your mindset taught me how to be a better athlete now in person going forward for all my races and just life because 2018 yeah like you said at the beginning i didn't have pressure i didn't have expectations for myself or others for me so it was really hard really hard going into the rest of the stops because i realized like i i was i could get a world title that realization was probably the most, um, I don't want to say burdensome because it was an amazing thing to have the opportunity to have, but it was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure from people that wanted me to do well, not that they wanted to make me feel bad, but they were, they wanted me to do well too. And I am really hard on myself as well. So learning to cope with, um, just Letting like the stress go and letting the fact that you have things out of control completely go taught me to just be a better athlete overall and taught me a lot about how mindset is everything. You can be, I mean, obviously physical condition is just as important, but I really think when it comes to difficult times and when what really separates good athletes from great athletes is the mindset. So 2018 and and that tour and those competitions really um, made me like get down on my mindset. So yeah, going through from the start, it was mellow. And then as it got more intense, I had to roll with the punches and be more fluid with everything and also stay stay on top of my mental game.
0: Yeah. So it must've been really difficult having the different stages of the mental mindset that you speak about. Like, good and great athletes and that's something that we, we touch on the show a lot is actually the mental side of racing and being able to control your emotions be able to perform when it counts so you come out of london you have an outstanding performance but then you have the the pressures now in new york of like trying to back up those performances so you don't have wins in new york you have obviously that that technical race where it's like quite difficult There's big swell wind rain lightning like just it was quite a hectic day of good competition you probably like the cameras couldn't even see out the back it was that sort of difficult and right. when you have that race where you are sort of you and Cannes basically even up a lot a lot more so then you're coming out of that one and now you're going into paris now what was it did you really focus down on your performance focus down on your mindset to make sure that you had your control when you're going into those races like you win the sprints and then you had to go one place better than canada so you were working out you knew what you wanted to do you wanted to win um, yeah. that world title so what were you doing leading into to Paris that sort of allowed you to make sure that you could perform the way that you needed to to secure something that you probably otherwise wouldn't have even thought you were going to do in January that year
1: yep yeah I've always been a really big believer about um, goal setting and visualization as well as just journaling and I learned that at a young age because I worked with a with a mental coach. He um, was a good friend since I was young and he has his own business on teaching. He works um, teaching like goal, goal setting and mindset thinking. And he has worked with um, football athletes and the NFL and just a ton of different people. So I had a good um, start to learning how to practice mindset and how powerful your mind is when it comes to competition. So leading into Paris, I, in a weird sense, felt calm because I was confident in how I was performing throughout the year, and I was consistent throughout the whole year, and that's something that I never really had, Um, but also, of course, really nervous going into it because of that pressure, and I wanted myself to do so well. So going into Paris, I was lucky enough to bring my boyfriend along. <laughs> and when, throughout, before the race even started, I just focused on being present and walking around the city and just adventuring. And it was funny because I did all my adventuring pretty much with Candice too. <laughs> so we would just we just had this unspoken thing that whole trip. We were like, so how are you feeling? Like, what'd you do today? Did Did you, are you hydrating? <laughs> like, just... It was just so funny. But um, for me, the most important part on how, on how I mentally prepared for that race was just staying grounded and present. I, couldn't even, I can't express that enough. You know, just not trying to over-obsess about what ifs and, and if I fell or if I didn't get that result. It was just staying present and being grateful that I was even there to begin with. Because it's really so crazy when you take a step back and realize how far you've come. And, and for me, in that moment and that trip, it was just—it was just surreal. Like I had the opportunity to race on the Seine and to race against world ca- world-class athletes and be in Paris during Christmas time. Just that—that that alone made me feel so grateful and present. And that's—I think—it set me up for just to have a good race because I felt grounded. And there was a lot of things going into that. This is funny, and I always forget to say this, but I traveled with my board to go there. I traveled with my custom 14-foot board, and I was feeling so good about that. I'm like, I will have my own board. Like, that's even better. Get to the airport. They completely deny me from taking my board. Danny Ching actually came to LAX, picked my board for me, took it back to the infinity shop. So as I was going into the final tour, final tour stop, all this pressure, the fact I was so stoked I couldn't take my board, got denied. And then getting there, I raced for the first time on a board I never ridden. And that, that alone, I just had to accept. So that brings in the point of acceptance about whatever gets thrown your way, just acceptance and being present. So even racing on a board I've never ridden. And I was just, proud of myself for doing well because of that but yeah life throws curveballs at you
0: and that's something you really have to learn as an athlete and as an international athlete like you probably you hadn't done any international races that was like your first year of doing international races on the scene you were 18 I think or, or 19 and you were basically mm-hmm. just taking on all these new challenges and that's something you just have to learn to be comfortable with like that's something that I've learned really well I think and that's something that I'm really strong at is just being present as you're talking about and just accepting things for what they are and I've had races like I get I fly all the way to Europe and I have no board there you know <laughs> and then I have to start to organize like like just start messaging people and start organizing my board and that might take a day it might take two days I might have my board turn up the night before the race you know or somebody else's board that I never paddled before like world championships this year or last year for example no board so I had to yeah. borrow a board from somebody else but you get so used to all these problems that come up that it almost, it almost becomes the normality when you're traveling. And that's something that you've, you've sort of learned firsthand where you get to the airport, you can't take your board. And you're like, okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You just got to work yeah. it all out.
1: Yeah, that and what you're saying like about when you have just crazy things thrown at you, honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I it took me such a long time to let go of the fact that. I couldn't control certain things. And you just can't. Like when you're traveling just to race in general, but internationally, and, the, and I also have my other thing that I'm vegan and gluten-free and I can't eat anything ever. So I got to bring all my snacks and my little meals. It's just like, you, you, just can't, you just can't control things. And that took me such a long time to accept. Cause I don't know, that's, that's a quality about myself. It's like, I like everything planned. But that was the best thing for me is traveling internationally and that tour opened me up as a person to, to being like, Shay, it's okay. Like you, this is going to happen. Yeah. So it's-
0: yeah. Well, it's just like, it's just so obvious. Like, and you're talking about the food stuff. Like I was traveling with Slater at that year and he's oh. a vegan as well. And like we went the first night we went to a restaurant and all together it was like me, Danny um, Slater and Travis we're all staying in the same um, room near Notre Dame there. We went to yeah. like a dinner restaurant and we didn't really know. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know Slater that well at that time. And we went to the restaurant. And he's like, oh man, boys, I can't really eat anything here. And he's like, I'll just go find somewhere else. It's okay. And, I, and we're all like, no, no, we'll, we'll come. We'll find somewhere. And then we found this like one vegan place and like not, no, no none, none of the other boys were vegan. And we ended up just like eating there for the one night. And then we're like... Slay on your own for the rest the week because <laughs> <laughs> it was just too hard. It was, and, yep. he, and he just went off and did his own thing, but it must be so yep. hard traveling with a vegan diet because there's just, especially in like different cultures, it's not really very accepted. Like, whereas maybe in Western culture, it's started to be more accepted. So you can go to different restaurants. You can go to the supermarket and get the food and the produce that you used to. How much of a challenge has that been? And is that something that's led you into that nutrition path as well?
1: Yeah, totally. So my, um, the reason I'm vegan isn't just because um, I don't want to eat meat, but I'm also allergic to dairy. So half of it is really forced. <laughs> and I'm also allergic to gluten. So that's a fun other, you know, thing to throw in there when you're traveling to crazy places. But honestly, um, I've gotten good at just being prepared food wise. Uh, I always, even when I was first, first traveling I always pack snacks and I always have little meals of some sort, but it's definitely tricky because on top of not being able to eat things, you have to compete and feel, feel good and feel fueled. So I always, that's the other thing. Anytime I travel, I always try a book in Airbnb that has a kitchen because I'm cooking most of the time. Cause you can, you can find things in grocery stores and make it work, but it's when you go out to eat, it's just difficult. But um, yeah, like you said, um, I chose to study nutrition partly because of that. Yeah, my allergies as a kid and also because I just love how food is so powerful and how it can change how you feel and the aspects of, of food and racing and being a competitive athlete and having my own you know experience with it. So um, that was definitely one of the things that made me encouraged to do what I'm studying and hopefully have a career in it so I can help other people and hopefully athletes.
0: And you've been obviously enjoying your nutrition studies. How far along are you now? And what are the things that you've maybe learned that you can sort of share with the listeners that maybe that you you've added into your training program or into your life? And how has that really helped you sort of become a better athlete?
1: Yeah, I'm, I've just got my associate's degree. So I'm pretty much halfway there. I've already been in school for three years. I've just been going to my local community college. So I actually, in the tour, I was a full-time student while I was traveling and competing. So that was pretty crazy. But I've been doing my studies as I've been racing competitively. Um, I'm actually transferring to University of Hawaii on Oahu for my next part of my education, um, which is pretty crazy. I'll be there for three years. So I'm moving to Hawaii in August. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited for that. But right now, I would say the most important thing that uh, learning what I have and just from personal experiences that I've implemented into my own training and racing is how important it is to eat nutritious foods and how easy it is. You don't have to be a vegan. You don't have you don't have to really follow any special diet. It's just eating good foods and being hydrated because there was a portion where I was vegan, but I wasn't healthy. And that's, I think, a huge misconception just for people that choose to be vegan and they're just not doing it right. So um, for me, the most important thing was just learning how certain foods are good for what. And for me too, and this is a really common thing with vegans is not getting enough protein. And I taught, I really learned and taught myself um, how different sources of protein are good in different ways. And that was the, that was the biggest hurdle for me It was just learning how I could follow my dietary needs and choices, but also fuel my body for two times a day training sessions and 14 mile races. And I'm really excited too, just to keep learning and get, get my degree because it's, I think cool. And I can use it personally for my own racing and training and share it with others.
0: Yeah. I think it's an awesome thing to be able to study because I guess we do all this training as athletes and sometimes we forget about the fuel. I, I don't really have any particular diet. I, I just follow the approach you're sort of talking about just eating good, nutritious food. And uh, Chrissy looks after me with that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm very, very <laughs> lucky. But when I got a friend who's just gone vegan, I was telling him this the other day because he, he doesn't drink um, cow's milk and he doesn't have, I don't think he has enough protein because he doesn't supplement his protein. Um, what should be people doing on, he's an athlete, he trains like three times a day, like an hour sessions a day, like he, mm-hmm. 18 hours a week, you know, like a lot of training. But what sort of should an athlete like that be doing to supplement their protein um, when they're not eating meat?
1: Yeah, I found the easiest way to get your protein and and do it in an easy way because a lot of protein sources, when you go vegan, you need a lot of it to equal the same amount that, I don't know, a steak would be or a chicken or whatever. Um, I found protein powder. I always do like twice the amount of protein powder that um, something will call for in a smoothie after I work out, just always. That's the first thing I drink or eat after I do a hard training session and that's easy. And then I really like um, the certain products called Beyond Meat. They make pretty much burgers. They they make chicken strips. They make beef crumbles. They make sausages, anything. And it tastes good. So that's another easy way. And it doesn't feel like you're eating tofu every day and it's flavorless. And you just are looking at little blocks that are white and confused. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. I I can't hate on tofu though, because I'm obsessed with it too, but, um, yeah, I I would say being vegan, just making sure you're supplementing for sure, not necessarily supplementing, but getting your protein from proper sources. Beans are easy. Like I said, protein powder. I really like meat replacements. Um, I eat a lot of quinoa that actually has a surprising amount of protein and essential, essential omega threes and six. Fatty acids.
0: Um,
1: But there's things you just gotta, you just really gotta um, research it and just be smart about how you're doing it. Like I said, because you don't wanna hinder yourself when you think you're doing something good for your body. It's just about educating yourself on how you can get different protein sources because it is pretty easy and it's definitely out there. Um, And even not, you don't even have to be full vegan. Maybe just do half plant based, half meat. So, yeah, it's fun just to experiment with it and try something new.
0: Yeah, what what's that diet that they call it? It's like um it's not like a meat diet but it's like a conscious um like a plant-based diet I think they call it. Yeah. And that's like it's sort of like some people still have a little bit of meat but Yeah. They don't yeah. Eat much <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like that that sort of like easy one to sort of go, "Oh, I don't really eat meat, but I do." Kind yeah,
1: of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plant-based. You mostly eat plants.
0: Besides yeah. So i'm not like that but i have um i had many discussions i think even with Sven in thailand the ceo of starboard and he was talking about it all but he was like yeah you got to really make sure you have in your protein if you ever come into this diet because he's really very very passionate about it but yeah um, yeah Yeah. it's, it's awesome but with um with your diet is this like did you realize that you were gluten intolerant and um lactose intolerant or whatever those two things were like early days or was it only recently that you realized
1: I was diagnosed with my allergies when I was in third grade. So I was about eight years old when I found out and I've had them my whole life, but it took until I was eight years old for someone to think, Oh, why is she puking every night? Why can't she sleep? Why was I a horrible baby? Because I was allergic to everything I was eating. Um, but yeah, it, it took a long time to really come to the conclusion that I, I don't have, um, something called celiac disease, which is an extreme intolerance to gluten. I'm just highly gluten intolerant and also allergic to casein, which is the protein and dairy products, not the sugar, which is lactose, which people are mostly allergic to. Um, But it it just kicks out all dairy out of the picture for me as well as gluten. So yeah, I was lucky to to be diagnosed at somewhat an early age, but it did take a couple of years and I was told I would never grow out of it. But at this point, it's just who I am, and I'm used to it, and it is what it is.
0: Yeah, you've got to make conscious decisions to put in your body so you don't puke after your meal. It's not so hard, is it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I have that motivation of yep. not wanting to eat it because I'm going to get sick. <laughs>
0: it's like, that looks really good, but I can't have it because I'm going to vomit afterwards. afterwards. Well, what's the point? <laughs> um, so... Working. So you've obviously done a lot of work on nutrition and then obviously working towards making yourself perform well and making sure you have a lot of things because you're going to have to make lots of conscious decisions continually because you need to know what's going in and what's going out. So that's probably really good for your performance. But with your training, like have you seen it evolve since you were 12 to, to now? Like how has that evolved for you and were you just going out and paddling and having fun and then you sort of moved into more of a structured training plan? Like how has your training evolved over time?
1: well, you kind of know how my training is. (laughs) I honestly, I honestly am pretty sporadic when it comes to training. I can't say that I am, I'm, I'm very um, planned ahead um, on top of it when it comes to traveling and uh, other things like that. But honestly, like my training, I'd say when I was 12, I was in um, a junior program sponsored by Riviera Paddle Surf, which was a local Santa Paddle Company in San Clemente. They're not around anymore, but they sponsored me when I was 12. And it was a part of this big junior team that um, my coach at the time, and who was my coach for five years, Mike Iser, ran. And at that time from, I'd say 12 to 16, I was very structured. I had a coach, I had a team. It was easy to stay motivated and stay on top of it because of that. Um, and I and I really do have to credit like my early, my early base of of paddling and my stroke and learning technicalities and, and being comfortable in the waves and the surf to that, to that early um fun source of training with a group and with a coach who um inspired us. And then after about 16 years old, I kind of slowly progressed out of that and started training um by myself and also still with the team. And then about, um, 17, 18 is when Candice and I kind of started to train together. And that, um, was, that was really cool because that was the first time I was training, um, with just one other person. And it was, it was more fun for me because I kind of, we did what we wanted and, it, and we went when we wanted and it was just kind of, it was still definitely, um, a regimen, but, but looser from what I had been doing when I was younger. And then in this past year and the year before that, I was still training a little bit with Candice, but I was doing a lot on my own just because I got to the point where I just wanted to put headphones on and just grind it out. And that was just my way of feeling free. It turned into something that I really, really just wanted to compete with people all the time and that's why I love training with Candice at the time because it was always so competitive and then it got to the point where I just wanted to paddle and get a workout in um so yeah my training's never been very um scheduled and I never and I definitely I definitely plan it out and I know I've goal set and I know what I need to do but yeah I'm not 100% the best when it comes to fully planning out my training regimen but I get it done one way or another
0: (laughs) yeah because it's been I I know I went down with Mike Isert um, I think it was in 2018 I went down and spoke to the squad that he has down there he does a fantastic job with all those juniors down there at Dahini and he has such a big squad and it's amazing to see all those kids paddling because you don't really see that very often like the only other place I've really seen that is in actually in Spain they had a couple of junior groups over there and it's like "Well, wow, like there are kids paddling at such a young age like maybe there is a really bright future for the sport right. and then you've obviously done it for four years and you start paddling with Candice which is would have been cool obviously because idolizing Candice and then going to paddle with it and then try pushing each other because exactly. I always like think about that nose in front mentality that I've had with certain paddlers that I've paddled with in my career which sort of helped bring you to that next level but then you do get to that stage afterwards you're like okay well now I know what I need to do now I just have to go out and do it and Yeah, putting the headphones on, and and that's what I pretty much do on most of my training. Now I like to do groups sometimes, but going out and just getting the session done. Because sometimes you get caught up in a race mentality when you're training, and sometimes it's better to actually go out and train by yourself because you actually do the session the way it's supposed to be done. You don't, the ego doesn't start to drive you forward and start trying to beat people. You know,
1: yeah, you are just preaching right now because I feel that that is where I got. I got sick of feeling like I was competing all the time. yeah. Because it's, it's draining, as you know. It's, it's draining to feel like you have to keep, I don't know, get, getting in front by a stroke or something. I, I was to the point where, like you said, I knew what I needed to do and the paces I needed to be and workouts I could do. I just wanted to do it by myself. And then in a sense, it makes it more fun to go and compete and do that race once a month or every every other weekend and not know exactly where you are compared to them and just go for it. That's kind
0: of what... It is a nice feeling to have where you just got to go into training, you're getting the job done, but then you're not feeling like you're going to a race every session because it's exhausting when you start doing it back to back to back. Whereas yeah. like if you're doing one race every couple of weeks or something like that, you actually go and test yourself there and you, you don't really worry about all that other stuff. Cause then sometimes you start thinking about training or some people like have that race mentality where they have to be winning at training to be able to win in a race. And then sometimes that backfires or sometimes that's fantastic. It just depends on your mental strength and how good you are at being able to perform when it counts. And I guess you were really able to do that in 2018. You win the APP world tour, you win the, the technical uh, race at the Gorge paddle challenge which is probably one of the most competitive women field that you probably was ever put together. And then you actually go forward, you win, you get third at the Pacific paddle games. Can you walk us through that event as well? A little bit about um, just like your progression throughout the Pacific paddle games. Cause for a while there, it was kind of like the biggest race in the sport, like from 2012 to 2019 when it sort of finally finished up, it was battle of the paddle and then it became Pacific paddle games. What was it like to see the progression of that? And how did you go throughout the years?
1: Yeah. You know, it's so cool for me for that race. And I'm so sad it's not happening anymore, but, um, it's, it's in my backyard, literally like I can bike down if it was at Creek. It was always at, I I know one year we had it at Creek, which is the worst decision ever. Salt Creek's gnarly, not meant for paddleboard. I did that one. Yeah. Wasn't it fun?
0: It was so it's fun, great. yeah. Just,
1: Oh, your board's gonna break, possibly, almost definitely, when you come in. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I saw but- Danny's
0: Danny's board actually <laughs> broke that year. I remember yeah, in one of yeah. our hoops and he had to go in and get another one and come back out. <laughs>
1: yeah, the fact he had one waiting for him just shows you, like, that was that's summed up what that race yeah. was. But um, yeah, I've always really held Battle the Paddle slash Pacific Paddle Games so close to my heart because it was my backyard, and i think throughout the years that was probably the race that always was on the top of my list like i always wanted to win for so many reasons for one it was in my backyard like i said and i would train there every day i'd envision it every day and every time it would come come back around in october or september it was just like i remember like obviously the first time i ever paddleboarded was that race and then It was just my goal marker i wanted to get top 10 women top five women win it win it win it 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 just progressed to that and it's such a bummer and i and i hold on to this hard because i've never actually won it but i got top three in it for the past three years it was happening and it was always so close which just sucks because i wanted it so bad but um yeah that that race was cool because it was in the surf and I love the surf and it was always just um, at the tip of my fingers about being able to win it. But um, yeah, I really, I really wish we could have just one more and I could have one more go at it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It'd be awesome to see that event come back into the sport and maybe after this little down period, maybe someone will be excited and bring it back hopefully um, because Mm -hmm. that was the event that everyone went to. It was kind of like the unofficial world title of the sport really for a long time. Uh You had great athletes, winning it through like that period and Candice is probably the most dominant um yeah. easily she just won so many like she was just so good in that technical surf race yep. format she was just so good and then I, I actually had a lot of good experiences there I never won it either I actually I won a couple of the distance races yep. but maybe a couple of seconds overall yep. it's Actually, funny I don't really remember I only, you only usually remember your wins you don't really remember of course because you just kind of
1: um, shove those back a little yep. bit
0: you either use it for motivation to try and win your next yeah, one, or you. Exactly. I, I don't remember what happened there. You know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's why. That's why when you ask me, like, how did I do in those other ones? No, yeah. I, I know, but that's that's the thing. And and going back to how you said, Canis is so strong in those races. That was what was really cool leading up to those when we started to train together. Is we both had that mindset going into the 2018 PPG. That we really wanted one of us to get it because we both live right there and we both i think believe we're most confident in those waves so training for that for that race was crazy like we would go out every day no matter what the size was and when we did have the race we did have a good swell and it was pumping and it made it just so much more exciting and Having her just experience and encouragement because, like you said, all the races she's done and won for Battle of the Paddle and PPG made it um, much more exciting because we both were going into it, both knowing um, that we like those conditions and it being our hometown race. So, yeah. PPG is a, has a special, strange place in my heart.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it has a, a special, strange place in everyone's heart, except you probably, <laughs> probably would have liked to, uh, to win it yeah. as well. But we'll hopefully get it back at some stage. But if not, there's so many yeah. amazing other races out there that we can compete yeah. at, not at the moment, but hopefully in the future. Right. Um, so you have, in that year, you also win the SUP Awards um, 2018 Women of the Year. What was it like to be recognised in that respect? I know like even for me, like looking up to that when I first came into the sport 2014, 2015, yeah. and you sort of go to those awards and it was kind of like a really big deal for our sport. Mm-hmm. Like there was, It was like, a, like the gala event of the year and everyone like dressed up and it was like quite fun. It was like the big event of the year. It was kind of like the final event, the Pacific Paddle Games, for a long time. Yeah. Um, how was that for you to sort of be recognised as the most popular or I guess the most successful woman of that, that year?
1: That was, hands down, winning the Female Paddle of the Year was, even, even with the world title, probably just the most special moment for me because I had been nominated for a couple years before and all the women that ever are nominated are all amazing and special in their own ways. So to be recognized that way was so cool. It was so cool. And you know what's funny is actually in 2014, when I started... Um, getting my first good performances in terms of placing like top three with Candice and Annabelle Anderson. Um, really my first, my first really good race that now that I'm remembering was the Santa Monica pier paddleboard race, 2014, I got first place and I had beaten Candace and Annabelle. Wow, <laughs> which okay. I was absolutely horrified to do by the way, that was the <laughs> scariest win of my life. Cause I had never done it. And I realized like at that, at the uh, last buoy turn, cause how that race worked was it was a long distance in the morning and then a short course throughout the waves, an M course. And, um, neither of them, I didn't do so great in the long distance earlier in the day. I think I got third and they were way ahead. So leading into that race, they, um, were just looking at each other and being like they wanted to beat each other. And then there I was, just kind of, I was 15 years old, like, let's go for it. <laughs> and I ended up winning it. So after that, after that win, I got recognized for the um, I believe it was the Grom Paddler of the Year at SUP Awards. And at this time, um, I don't know if you remember, but it was just an insane award show when it was going on in those years. They had they had just, it was beautiful, it was at the San Clemente Casino, just on the close to the beach and everyone was there everyone dressed up and so that that was cool and after I got that Grom paddler of the year I always wanted to get the female paddler of the year so then when 2018 came and I won it I just remember sitting there just feeling like just shocked and overwhelmed because I've oh, I, I wanted that since I started paddling and it was a huge honor huge honor uh-huh.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to be recognized for I guess the hard work and the and the years of doing things over and over again to try and get those results. And yeah. then when it all lines up, it's a really nice feeling. Were you doing many other races through that 2014? I guess, period where you had some success and like, where were, when did you start to really realize that you could actually start to mix it up with, with Kansas and Annabelle? Was it, was it that race that you're talking about the Santa Monica race or was there other instances where you were kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay. Like, let's see if I can really mix it up. And was there any events in the U.S., I guess that where you were racing at the time that you really performed at and you were kind of like, okay, maybe I can do better next time.
1: Yeah. I would definitely say my, first standout race was the San, was the um, Santa Monica Pier race. That was the first time I ever beat either of them. And, and I realized that I had potential because prior to that, I was just doing really local races. And we had an awesome series of winter races and summer series here in Southern California. So I had opportunities every weekend to do a race, um, but I never done anything really big. And then so that year was the first time like I said, I had a standout race, beat either of them. And then from then on, I realized that I had potential and it made me so fired up because I always felt like kind of the black horse because I was the youngest. I was the youngest. And um, you remember step racers? Like you, I'm pretty sure he still does it. But when it was the biggest thing to be on his top 10 world rankings.
0: Yeah. I, yeah I it was it was big it was when I first came into the sport that was yes. like the thing that you did and that sort of has yes. sort of gone a bit, bit by the wayside now a little bit but it's still kind yeah. of there but when it was yeah. big it was really big
1: yes and that and that point from that point on I think I I think I got moved to like 11th and then so my goal was like okay what races does he rank like I want to I want to be top five and, yeah. and then for a couple of years I was the youngest I believe top 10 for like three years and then The super rad girls like Jade Housen came into it and a couple others. So, but yeah, that I would say Santa Monica was the first race where I realized I had potential and, and then I started to do, um, Carolina cup and obviously I did PPG every year slash battle of the paddle and gorge I started doing was the other next one, the hard river race. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kept it pretty mellow, but those were the my little races I would do every year
0: yeah and you sort of well I I know for me like I remember messaging Chris before I even started the sport and it was like what what races do I do because I had no idea like I watched Positively Kai I think on YouTube and then I like started like looking at local guys like I think it was Jake Jensen and like Kelly Marguerite probably at the time and I was like and then that you started seeing like Connors and like all these different guys racing you're like okay, so what, what events do you go to? There's just like so many. There was just like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It, still, it still is. Like even like look right now with like all these virtual races online and like it doesn't really get me going. It doesn't really get me going really. But there's like, there's like 100 virtual races. You're like, whoa, like which one's yeah. the you place to do, you know?
1: Seriously.
0: Yeah. Seriously.
1: And that's hard too. Like picking and choosing and doing things, like making goals based around that. So I think that was so fundamental in me being inspired to like do a couple of races and travel to them was because of Chris Parker's world rankings. But yeah, it is like you said, there are so many opportunities everywhere, every weekend all over the world, which is so cool. I think it makes our sport so unique and fun.
0: And you got to work out what you want to achieve. Like for me, it was always about a, the experience. Like when I go to this place, am I going to have a good time? And then the second one was like, are the best people going to be at that race? Because if I go to a little race, I'm in a little race and all like, I go to a big race and then there's nobody there. It's like, is it really a big race? And like, it doesn't really get me that excited. And then, then you have like, okay, is there going to be income from it? Like, cause I need to pay for this exactly. trip. You know? Like, so I need, it needs to be like a neutral trip so then I can make it worthwhile. Yeah. And then, then all those other factors about how many people are going to be there, how many great people can I meet? Like, is the location going to be fun? Can I do something off the side that's going to be like, making another bit of a fun trip as well? So there's all these yeah. different factors that go into it. What were the factors that went into your decisions to go to those different races in America when you were first starting out?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say Well, North Carolina cup, I would say is probably one of the most competitive races around the world that we've had for the past couple of years. So that, and it being in the U S and my, when at the time when I was training with that junior team, all the Groms went and we all kind of went as a team. So that was always there just because I, I felt like it was accessible for me to do. And then. Gorge got added on for the same reason, like the team wanted to go and my coach would be there and it was just fun. And, and I have to say my mom always was the person in my life that she's so, she's so, so competitive. And I come from a family like of athletes. My, my aunt, my dad's sister was on as a three-time Olympic gold medalist for soccer. She was on the it's, it's crazy. She actually has a Netflix documentary coming out. I just found out yesterday about okay. their team and how they were like the leading woman for soccer. So I come from a competitive family.
0: And what's and everyone, her name?
1: Her name's Julie Foudy.
0: Julie Foudy. Okay, I'll have to look out for this Netflix documentary because I've been loving The Last Dance with MJ. So this could be another yeah. one that I
1: to. Yep. Yeah, called The 99ers. They just got approved for it.
0: So okay. it's probably
1: going to be a couple months until it comes out. But um, but I always laugh because everyone that knows that about my family always thinks like, oh, my competitiveness is from my dad's family. No, it is my mom. She competitively races outrigger canoe. And I'm not kidding you. There Almost every night after practice, she comes home pissed or crying because you <laughs> didn't get put <laughs> on the top woman's boat. So for, so for going, going forward, when I was young to these races, my mom was always the person that is like, you need to be here because this is going to push you farther in that ranking or something. She she wasn't, she also was really respectful with my space and you know, but it's just funny. I, I definitely think the early beginnings of my career was due to my mom's encouragement Of doing certain races and having the team that I would travel with, and it being in the States was easy. And they were all really um, competitive races, too, and good experiences. So, yeah. yeah.
0: It would have been just awesome to travel with like those different crews, but then obviously having your mum sort of being competitive and being right into it sort of helps push you along. Like my dad was always really into sport and like taking us to training and taking us to events. And like every weekend we drive like two or three hours to an event and then come home. And then the next week we'd be back at like 5am some training every day and that type of thing. Was that something that you were doing as a kid?
1: Yeah, honestly, I, when I look back at, uh, at least getting into stand-up paddling before that, um, I never, I never was into sports. I never was good at land sports like soccer. Everyone thought I am a fowdy. She's going to be good. Nope. I was a huge disappointment to those coaches. <laughs> so land sports were never my thing, but my, my parents were always really encouraging and my brother and I to just do something we liked. I've tried every single sport that you can name. And I never really liked any until I found stand-up paddling. And surfing, too, has always been my other love. I love to longboard, too, in my free time. But, yeah, once I started getting into stand-up paddling and traveling, my parents were definitely the ones that always were super supportive of me and as an athlete overall, too, in person. So that helped.
0: And what, what is it about going out and surfing and longboarding that you really enjoy? Like, what is it about? Like, what, like, do you go to like Sano? I know that's a big thing in like Southern California. Yeah, like, yeah. Dave talks about it a lot. Like, is that the place oh, that yeah. you go surfing?
1: Yeah. You know, I love, love, love longboarding because it's totally separate from racing for me because racing, even if I'm going for a cruise, it's, always a bit competitive for me no matter what I'm doing and longboarding is just something so separate and um special to me because it is where I feel most free and and I don't have to judge myself about how I'm surfing and I and and I always say I would way rather go for the tiny baby waves and just have fun longboarding than go out in the giant one so I'm gonna be at Waikiki when I move not on the north shore yeah but yeah, longboarding is definitely my place to escape when I just want to go have fun in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. So that's what means to me.
0: Longboarding is quite nice. And I think even for myself, like going surfing has always been just like that extra thing. Like you just go and just have fun. You don't get competitive, but then sometimes I can't help myself, but get competitive and start pushing myself as much. as Exactly. I can. You try and have that one thing that's not competitive and then you become competitive. Yeah. And I'm like, that's why I never did a contest as a kid. I was like, there's always opportunities to do surfing contests and stuff. And I was like, no. I was like, you go swimming, yeah. you go swimming, you go like board paddling, you go ski paddling. I was like, yeah. you don't need another thing to be competitive at. It's like, just yeah. like if you go surfing, go have fun.
1: Oh, and, I uh, relate to that. I relate to that. I'm still competitive when I longboard. My yeah. friends, my friends always tell me, they're like, you need to calm down. Because I try to fight some people. I just, I'm, <laughs> not really, but I do get competitive and I do have to keep myself in check. When yeah I'm so
0: what, so, if I look up on YouTube like car park brawls uh women fighting sha Shay, Shay Fowdy, would would it come you up
1: may me, you <laughs> <not>? <laughs> yeah
0: uh, awesome nature, yeah. And what's so I guess that competitive nature that you've had throughout your career and now that you talk about even through surfing is is that something that's been internally driven like was it your mum who sort of helped you get that competitive drive or like even looking up and seeing your aunt I think I think you said um, being a competitive yeah. soccer player was that where the competitive drive came from or was it just something that was just internal that you just like Right, I need to be better. Like I need to wake up tomorrow morning, go 5 a.m. outrigger paddling or sup paddling, and go and make myself better. Like, what was the internal drive or the external drive that was pushing you?
1: It was definitely purely internal. I am competitive by nature, no doubt about it. I since since I had something that I knew I could be good at, and and I had goals always set. It was just so fun. Like I love that. I love that. I love that. And it's so funny because my brother. Is so opposite from me hates competing and I've always loved it it's definitely innate it's a part of who I am and then I, I remember there was a point before I got my license I would walk just to high school I'd walk to school every day and walk home and we have this giant I mean like a giant incline hill it is vertical to get to school And I would always put on my motivational podcast and just walk that hill so fired up. That's just, yeah, that's just how I've always been. I'm definitely competitive by nature and, and I love like, I love pushing myself outside of my comfort zone and then trying to get good at something starting from nowhere and then going to somewhere eventually.
0: Yeah. yeah. You've got to have that, that drive to sort of push yourself forward and I, you obviously have it and it must be exciting now moving over to Oahu in Hawaii to take up your nutrition degree and obviously be able to train warm weather all the time, nice yeah. waves. Like how excited are you for that? And, and do you think that'll help take you to the next level with your long boarding or with your, your stand-up paddle racing, or is it just going to be like just fun for you? Like where, do you know where you're going to live? Like what's it, all, how's it all, how's it all planning out? Cause I know you like to plan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, It's actually pretty cool. We already have um, a condo. I'm moving there with my boyfriend. We already have a condo um, at the bottom of Diamond Head. And it's actually my my bathing suit sponsor's condo. So I already have it secured for the past um, six months. It's in the perfect spot. So it's pretty cool. I'm not living on campus or anything. Um, And when I'm there, I definitely want to have fun. I'm yeah. not, I'm I definitely want to do races. I want to do a lot of downwinding and train because I love that and surf a ton. But yeah, I'm not planning really on doing any races when I'm out there. Cause I think it's just going to be hard. I'm going to be going to school full time and somewhat going to have a job, but yeah, I'm definitely excited to, to be in a totally different environment and explore Oahu in that lens, you know, and to yeah. meet to have the opportunity to meet people that way. So it's pretty cool. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Hopefully we can move, because everything is so up in the air, as you know. Apparently, their rule right now, and it's at least until May 31st, but if you go there, you have to mandatory quarantine for two weeks. You can't leave your place to stay. So I'm gonna be there with no bed, and no food in my little <laughs> condo for two weeks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, so that well, that's exactly the same here. We have like even just for our really, state at the moment. Yeah. Fourteen day hard wow. border. All international travel, fourteen days. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty full-on so it's gonna be quite hard for us to move around for a little bit but yeah I think it's gonna be exciting for you moving to to Diamond Head I know that we were actually going to stay there for a month in July this year not in Diamond Head in Hawaii car yeah I was planning to go over there and race and train and sort of just Uh, get like a bit more of like the vibe and just sort of like feel like a bit more I guess like a a local in a way because you're just like living down a little bit away from Waikiki but Diamond Head will be cool you'll be able to rekindle your outrigger uh, career because They got a big outrigger. community. just call up Trav and you'd be like, Hey Trav, I'm here. Let's go paddling.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny. I've heard obviously, but, um, all the outrigger clubs there, I just, I've, I've mentioned to a couple of people that I know over there and I'm like, I just want to join a club and like, have fun. And they're like, no, if you join a club, you're racing and you're at the practices every day. I was like, Whoa, there it's, it's a, uh, it's the, it's equivalent. I don't know. to." football or soccer over here outrigger is the sport and you don't mess around so yeah I definitely I definitely want to get back into it because that's like my roots that's where I started that's what made me to the stand-up paddler I am is from outrigger and learning a lot of the culture of water sports through that which is cool I'm excited to hopefully get into it there
0: yeah and with um outrigger obviously being something that you started doing um were you like I know it's like downwind culture in Hawaii, like it's probably really prevalent there, it's a little bit prevalent here in Australia and maybe a couple of different nations, but coming from like Southern California, there isn't really prevalent wind that often. Is it harder to maybe learn the downwinding skills a little bit coming from um, California or is it just as easy? Like what, cause like it just, it's hard. Cause I didn't really learn how to downwind properly on a stand up till I moved to Perth because now I spent like a whole summer, like just downwinding on my up, yeah. and then I, you just get the skill you're starting to understand it but before that I could I could do it on a surf ski but it was all out and back stuff was on the gold coast we had some downwind but not as much like is that something that you could probably work on a little bit more for yourself
1: a hundred percent we definitely don't have optimum optimal downwind conditions here it's like I don't know a couple days out of the year where it's good yeah. Um, so I am really excited and that's probably my number one thing that I'm looking forward to do when I move is doing the runs out there because there's a couple couple that I already know of and I've wanted to do for such a long time. Um, and so that's my main thing is just practicing downwind because downwinding is probably my favorite thing to do on a stand-up paddleboard le- besides the surfing aspect. It's It's like you're surfing little baby waves for a long time, for the whole time. Yeah. You're Paddling. Yeah.
0: And then and then you can start foiling down wind. You can do all sorts of yeah. stuff. Have you done any foiling down at Santo?
1: No, no, because I'm the type of person that would cut my leg off. If I if I would fall in front of it and cut my leg off. Oh, <laughs> come don't.
0: on. You're you're more skillful than that. It's like longboarding
1: i know i i need to try foiling i just have not gotten to it and i'm also kind of scared (laughs) i'm not gonna lie
0: we'll go and do it properly go behind the boat and then you'll gradually get it i think i got jordan mercer up on behind the boat like really like yeah yeah, the your partner's photo shoot at the start of this year and i just saw she posted another video of her like learning it again so she's got it so i'm sure you could uh, get it as well yeah
1: oh yeah she's just kind of the most badass woman ever though so yeah
0: she's (laughs) very 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 talented yeah.
1: yeah, that's cool. I know that's, that's a, that's another goal. Maybe I'll throw in there.
0: Boiling. Yeah. So speaking of cutting, so speaking of cutting off your legs, um, you've had a few injuries over <laughs> your career. What, what is what, how, how much of a hindrance have they been? Like, I know you come off 2018 and you had the abdominal injury. Like we were about to start to work together and sort of try and take you to the next level yeah. again after having such yeah. an amazing year, but it sort of got a bit railroaded by the the injury and it sort of really, you struggled with it for maybe six months or something like that. What was that yeah. injury like, and I guess coming off an amazing 2018 and then coming into the next year and having all those injuries, yeah, what was that like?
1: Humbling. That is probably my number one response to that, humbling. yeah, and, and I don't know what is wrong with me, but my body, I, I get injured super easily, and it's so annoying. Because in 2016, when I was 16 years old, I couldn't, I couldn't really walk for, I couldn't walk comfortably for over a year. Like my knee injury was so bad. I couldn't even walk really. And then I could walk. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm making it sound very dramatic, but it was painful. I was just, it was a bad injury. And then in 2018, I finally healed up from that. And I had my good year. I felt so good. And then 2019 rolled around and in February of Last year, nope, it's 20. Nope. No, yeah, yeah, yes.
0: Yeah, 2019.
1: Yep, yep, yep. I had torn, partially torn my transversus abdominis. And that is very hard to do, apparently. Apparently. And I did it. I
0: haven't done it, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because most people, it, it takes a lot. And I did it from laughing, deep belly laughing. Of course, I think that was the needle that broke the camel's back. But um after that, trying to get back into racing and training was really hard and I felt really discouraged because wow. I come off a world title and then a month later, really, I severely hurt myself. And then so trying to race in New York, making the rest of the 2019 tour um, and, and my first race really back in 2019 was in September at, at um, the the Long Beach stop in, uh, in, in New York. And I remember my, my, actually my short course race, I got fourth, which I was incredibly surprised at. And then going into the long distance race, the year previous in 2018, I got second. And then in 2019, I got second to last. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Going from, from that was like, I, I finished the race and I saw everyone stoked for, say, and April and Fiona. And I just thought that I'm like, wow, I made a complete full circle. I was there last year and this year I barely finished the race. So it just goes to show you, like, for me, I guess I learned after that, like, what makes someone a great athlete, I think, is... Picking yourself up and and progressing, even when you, when you make a complete like flip around, like being humble when you're winning and also being humble when you're losing, then that's Mm. what, that's what last year really taught me honestly. And I'm grateful for it because I, I have experienced both and I have, I've experienced what it's like to be on the top and then also completely be at the bottom, literally. So it, it was, it was um, definitely a, a good learning year. And then Paris uh, rolled around and I was actually training again. I was feeling better. I was pretty much healed in December. And I was super stoked with my performance in the sprint race. I got third and I, ha- and I think I actually had the fastest time that whole day for a woman, but I kind of yeah. blew it on that <laughs> semi-final, But yeah, so 2019 was a weird year. But um, it was also good. It was a good learning year too. And I'm grateful it happened for sure.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting you hear you talking about the humility and sort of being able to go out from winning races to coming back and like just being humbled, like completely humbled and just learning that yeah. like unless you keep working at the top, you don't stay at the top and that's something that we have to learn as we go along and unfortunately you got injured sort of like when you were starting to really come to your, your four. I remember like almost getting frustrated like because I was going to – we were going to work together like basically from February yeah. I think it was and then you're like, yeah. oh, I got injured and then I keep like texting you like once a week, or once every two yeah. weeks. I'm like, hey, yeah. what are you yeah. doing? And I was just like, I was like, how can you still be injured? It's been six months. Like, come on.
1: I would also like to know this. Yeah. My, yeah. I know. I know. It was literally, it was the week. It was the Friday. I, I can tell you exactly. It was the Friday you had called me. We talked. I was so pumped. I was training with Michael Booth, man. <laughs> I was the best 2019 of my year. That weekend, two days later, tore my abdomen yeah so that's how that year started
0: you you're literally too excited
1: first hand you heard about my pains that whole year yeah
0: the whole year i was just like come on like come on that's I know. By <laughs> now. like, are you doing physio i was like are you doing the right things like what are you doing yeah like,
1: you're up on me
0: yeah i was like why are you <laughs> so interested?
1: doctor yes
0: yeah i was like why haven't you <laughs> been to physio yet? yet what's going on yeah, it was yeah. it was good. It was a quite like good experience, I guess. Like just yeah. to sort of see like injuries and how much they affect athletes, and it was obviously yeah. fun to work with you after New York and leading into Paris, and sort of just see so you get a bit excited again after a race because you went yeah. down after after New York, yeah. and then just sort of see you get sort of have that progression again. And now it's like, oh bummer, like you can't even race this year, so everything sort of just happens the way it does, and there's nothing you can really do about it. But you can just take it as it is, and you have got a really positive mindset, and it's always yeah. great to see. And but. Now, like we talk about, like this year, COVID nineteen just screwed up everything for most people. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess any plans that they had, they just can't do. No events, no racing. Uh, a lot of people losing their jobs. Like, how has it affected you? And how have you dealt with it?
1: Yeah, you know, I really was in denial when everything started to kind of surface and and it was being talked about. And it was it's really funny, not really funny, but Dave Bainey actually called me. When he, when he had a trip and he had absolutely no idea what was going on, he called me and he was like, I think Santa Cruz just got canceled because that was our first race that we had planned on doing. I go, yes, have you not been watching the news? Like it is in Orange County now, Dave. <laughs> it, it was just funny, but it, it was really like then once, once Santa Cruz Paddle Fest got canceled, it kind of like hit me like, oh my gosh, like this is serious. And then I lost my um, job, which I was a dog walker for my, for my, (laughs) this is what I do to make my gas money or my food that I buy every day. Um, But I, I was, I was dog walking after school every day. And, and before that I was nannying, but I had, I had um, recently stopped doing that because my workload was so gnarly for school. Um, but honestly, I have to say, I'm really grateful in the fact that COVID hasn't really affected me in a really, um, dramatic way. I've just, I've been taking the time focusing on school because that's literally all I can do anyways. I'm so busy with everything in terms of school. I'm taking really, I'm taking two gnarly classes right now. So I'm a little bit grateful they're online and I can use my notes. I'm a little bit grateful for that. (laughs) But yeah, I'm I'm grateful in the fact that it, I haven't really been too badly affected. So the only bummer is I can't I can't paddle really. That's a bummer. We can't we don't. All of our parking lots are closed pretty much. Um, so I've just been biking down with my surfboard on my bike racks and surfing every day, and that's been nice.
0: Yeah, it's not so bad. You just yeah. just going down, having a surf, and, and getting angry at people.
1: Exactly. Gets you fired up. It's it's, up. it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> i'm feeling like i'm competing again but i'm yeah. scaring old men or little kids unfortunately <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: and and so what for so going forward for you like what's the what's the plans like are you going to keep racing i know you're going to hawaii you're going to obviously be studying for another three years like what is the the plan for you for the next five five years or so
1: my really my goal right now and my only plan is just school and then getting, getting my educational career done with. My plan for school wise is I'm getting my degree in um, dietetics and I'm going to hopefully become a dietitian, which is a, um, I don't want to say an upgrade from a nutritionist, but it's more schooling and you have to be certified um, by the state and also by um, the Dietetic Association. Um, it's really kind of like being a nurse for food about how I like to say it because I can never be a nurse. Seeing blood makes me want to faint. Um, but yeah, that's, that is really my goal right now is getting my degree and then I have to do um, a minimum of 1200 hours of internship right after I get my degree. So I will be moving back um, to the mainland, back probably home to do my internship because there's none in Hawaii. So yeah, my plan really is just, enjoy, enjoy living in a different state and Hawaii of all places, which won't be hard to enjoy and getting my degree and hopefully actually completing it in three years, which I will. I will. I'm good about that. But (laughs) yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be an amazing journey going forward and talking about Dave and sponsors and different people who've helped you along in the way. How have you sort of managed, um, to get sponsors and, and to like really help, I guess, facilitate your goals and your dreams? Like, how have you worked towards partnerships? Like, I know you had a manager for a while and even reached out to me originally at one point to do a virus shoot. I think it was in Hawaii and it just never really worked out. But how did how was the the process of that for you?
1: Yeah, I always, like you said, for a short time, I did have a manager and it ended up not, it it didn't work for me just because I, I like to do things my own way and and organically so all the partnerships i've had have been me solely working with the 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 people like my first real, real sponsorship was riviera paddle surf and i became close with the family and they really helped me with my career and being so supportive when i was nobody and they didn't need to support me the way they did and they did um, but it's it's really important to me with all my um, partnerships is it being real and organic and something I truly believe in so it's easy for, in the sense that every everyone that I support and that supports me um, i'm truly uh, with you know and infinity especially and my relationship with Dave has been the most um, i think important and and special one in the sense that I it changed me as an athlete joining the infinity team and having their support. And it made racing and traveling so much more fun because when you have a group and you're going all across the world, it's much better to be on a 15 hour flight next to people, you know, that are going to make you laugh. So yeah, yeah, that's always been my mindset when it comes to sponsorships. I really had to um, believe in myself when I, when I started to approach people and, Um, Talk to them and ask for things. I had to believe that I was worthy enough to have that. So that was another thing that I had to kind of get over and know and have the confidence in talking to people that own companies and saying, "Hey, you should support me, and I'll support you." So yeah, yeah.
0: it's such a hard thing to do in a way, especially when you're younger and you're all green and you're like, "Oh, like I don't know if I can talk to this person. Like, oh, they might be a bit like I don't know, a bit funny towards me, but." as you get older and more confident you just go hey guys I want to do this like do you guys want to jump on board and we can help each other and then that's basically like the initial start of the conversation and most people say no but then there's some people that say yes and then they end up being like I've had some of my sponsors for eight to ten years now and they're just part of your journey you know like they they actually come on board and they're like okay like we're in it for the long run like you do something we'll help you out and that's That sort of like loyalty and sort of sticking by your sponsors, I think, is really important as well. And just like even like through tough times now, like all my sponsors have been amazing to me. And that's I think because of the time that we've all spent together over such a long period of time, it sort of all works out. But yeah, as a as a young athlete, it does get it is hard, but you sort of get better at it as you get older.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It definitely took me a couple of years to um, grow into that confidence. And then yeah, the relationships you do make and keep are really cool because it is for the long run and that i don't know having that having that support too from companies and people that have been with you from the beginning is special yeah so yeah
0: yeah it's it's, it's really important like i think I saw my sponsorships like i think sherman partners have been with them for five years starboard five years cyborg 10 years That's i think i've been with dean one. since 2013 so it's probably seven years wow. the bennett the bennett one there is like my first ever paddle, I think, I got off of Tank Bennett when I was 15 or 14 years old. So that was like 16 wow. years ago. Um, a couple of the other ones are a bit newer, but um, Stoke like five years, uh, Vicoby eight years, and VMG yeah. since I started up five years ago. So, and yeah. then obviously Fan and the MB and all the other ones have come along with it. But yeah, it's just right. been a nice journey to sort of be able to work and mold and follow the dream with all these different sponsors. But yeah. as a as a sort of a a leading female professional sub-athlete in the sport, what would you say to any of the young girls out there who are trying to take up, who are trying to follow the lead of yourself or Candice or Fiona, like in the US? Like, what would you say to them to sort of get them excited to go out there and go paddling and chase something that you've done?
1: I love that question because that's 100% where my soul is and what I'm passionate about is inspiring, not just younger girls, but the younger generation to do things that, fire them up. But I would say I would say to any young girls or anyone that's just looking to get in this sport is um, just do something, do it because you love it and because it makes you stoked at the end of the day. Because that was always what I think made me a good standup paddler is the fact that I loved it so much and that I, I was excited to go train and to go sweat and to be in pain. I was excited for that because it was what I loved. And I think with anything that you do, just do it with um, passion. And I I definitely, um, the other thing is is learning um, to accept that you're going to fall and fail. And failure is a blessing in the biggest way because it forces you to grow. And if you, I, I always think this is, I, I remember the times where I I wasn't making big um, falls in the sense of, you know, not doing well or losing a race or anything like that. If I didn't have those moments, and I'm sure you can understand, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today, because with with those falls and not being successful or not doing how I wanted in a race is what made me encouraged and made me so fired up to set another goal and reach it, even if it took me five years. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I would definitely encourage others to go for things they love and not be afraid to fail because that is the most beautiful part of the process.
0: And you've touched on two really good points there, like following your passions and being comfortable with failing because if you don't really have any failures, you're not going to really learn how to, like, to be better going forward. Like You're not going to be able to use that lesson, essentially. Like that's I think I've said it a few times and a lot of people say it as well. It's like you win or you learn. And like, exactly. and even when you're winning, you're still learning. Like there's exactly. so many things that go into those different races. Like what do you think of one of like the key things that happened in your career that you went, right? Like, I really learned from that moment. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to move forward from that. Like, was there any falls as yeah. you speaking about or failures that you really helped you along?
1: 100%. I always, I will never forget this moment. So gorge paddle challenge. I believe it was 2015. It was my second time doing that race. I, it was the course race. I was about 15 years old. I had had a horrible start. I fell like 12 times. And, and most of the time in those races, I always felt confident. I wouldn't usually fall. I always hit the turns good. And for some reason, I just was blowing it that race. I felt like I had a lot of pressure on me. There was just multiple different factors going into it, but I completely stopped paddling, pulled out of the race, sat on my board, and I floated into the beach, and I quit. I 100% quit. And I remember after, that was the first time I ever quit or stopped a race since. And I remember walking in and my mom looked at me, and I forget exactly what she asked, but it was along the lines of saying like, Like, why did you do that? Like, why would you just give, give up? Like, why'd you just Mm. paddle in? Why don't you just keep, keep going for it at least? And in that moment I realized like, oh my God, I'm never going to allow myself to do that again. And from that point of truly quitting and, and realizing that that was, that was failing is when you, when you give up on yourself, you can be last if you do it, if you finish it. You freaking, you learned. You won in a sense, but from that moment, I learned so much, and it's such a valuable lesson that I carry with me. Any race, New York, New York, soap open when that freaking hurricane came in. I wanted to quit more than anything, but I remember that moment and how I felt about, and how I was so discouraged in myself, and how I promised myself I would never quit again. And that, and that was a defining, defining time in my and my career as a human, because that taught yeah. me more than just, uh, just as a competitor.
0: Yeah. I just have so many fit, like things like that, especially when I was younger, like I never didn't finish a race. Like I always like came to like, you yeah. sort of like, it was all about that mental strength as well. And I, like, yeah. I'd come to the end of a race and I just buckle because like, I was yeah. a really good trainer, but I wasn't a good racer. And then as I got older, I got better at racing because I raced so much, you know, like, but then there was one race, um, it was like the 2015, Uh, doctor race i was a race from Rotteness island to sorrento which is like in perth like my local sort of down race but one of the biggest surf ski races in the country and i had an amazing race i was like sitting second for a lot of the race and i was third and then i was like dying towards the end like i hadn't done much um Mm. surf ski paddling i must be 2016 i had not much surf ski paddling that year like i i bonked i like didn't have the right nutrition like and i was falling to pieces and i could have paddled to the finish line yeah but i didn't i actually pulled out with like 3k to go called Vlad's over yep. one of the guys that i knew in the boat and i just got on the boat and came in and like i was sort of like i don't know like felt really sorry for myself for the next like three hours or whatever was yep. after the race but i just felt like such a pussy i was like yep. come on you know like i was like I felt like as soon as it was just like regret I like really for like,
1: understand is that yeah, it was a just feeling
0: yeah and i was like never again i was like i don't care how i feel from now on i'm making nope. sure i finish the race
1: exactly. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, in the, uh, Nicaragua race in 2014, I actually, um, fainted at the end of that race. I completely fainted. It was because I, I, sh- I really literally should have stopped because I hadn't drinking water in the whole 13 mile race. And it was over hundred degrees, hundred percent humidity. And I literally pushed myself so hard and I fainted at the end because I did not want to pull up. Yeah, We're psychopath humans. I, I feel well, like when people do this, we are psychopaths.
0: But what <laughs> I also didn't understand with my like surf ski race was like two weeks before that I went to ISA worlds um, in Fiji and I won, but like, in that race I'd like absolutely destroyed myself all the way to the finish line. Like yeah. there's like boats coming through and like I'd broken away towards the end, but then there was a boat yep. coming through and like all these guys were like surfing the wake yep. up to me and I kept yep. smashing myself to the finish line. Like pretty much collapsed over the finish line was white, lost like four kilos in the race. Like couldn't do a oh my test, like
1: gosh. And a half
0: and a half hours till after the race because I was so dehydrated like I yep. couldn't keep any food down like I was yep. like, delirious I remember doing an interview <laughs> and I was just like mumble I just didn't know what was happening you know at the time I just yep. like, killed myself and then two weeks after that I like was just so soft I was like you know, I'm not getting finish line you're like well, no that's no one as so bad as I was then like what was I thinking but there's just these lessons you learn I was learning that like 26 27 you know like this wasn't yep. that long ago but you're just constantly learning. It doesn't matter how much racing yeah. you've done. It's just all these life lessons and, and racing lessons that you have as you go along. But yeah. with ISA, you said you were – I think you went there in 2014. How was that experience for you? Because that was probably your first international competition that you went to. Did that change the game for you a little bit as well, like to really see like the, the sport as a, a bigger thing yeah. than just in America?
1: For sure, I, um, actually, that was a really fluke thing that I got to go. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Brandy Bassick. Do you know who Brandy is? She was, she was, she was pretty much the number other number one girl in California next to Candace. And she would always do the local races and and her and Candace were really competitive for, for the beginning years. And, um, she was supposed to go and she ended up not being able to, for some reason. And I was 14 at the time, or I'm sorry, 15. And she last minute texted me, Candace couldn't go. She last minute texted me cause she knew I was literally a Grom. I have never, I had never done well any point before that. And she was like, she can do it. I did it. My mom went with me. And Slater actually um, was there for the men. And Sean Poitner Sean was there for um, SUP surfing men. I'm trying to remember who else... Oh, um, Carter Graves, she was a prone paddler for uh, that team. But anyways, um, I remember I was the youngest competitor in the ISAs next to Itzel Delgado. And then that's how I met Itzel through that too. And we have an awesome relationship too. And he's like my Peruvian brother. (laughs) I always call him. But um, yeah, that race opened my eyes to the sport really. And it was... So cool, and I think that I think that was one of the experiences that that made me want to travel and made me want to just explore the world because I'd never been outside really of the United States up to then. I had traveled, but when I was younger. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that was that was an epic race. I ended up doing. I got like fourth place for women too, somehow, and that's that was the one I fainted. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's amazing experiences, those different ones that you have along the way. And I know yeah. Slater was very passionate. I spoke to him just recently on the podcast and he was so that's passionate that's about that. the American team. Like that was his thing. He was, yes. like, wear the American colors. Like, how can you guys not want to do it? Because like, it wasn't really part of the sport really. Like you had like, the PPGs and the, oh, sorry, the yeah. BOPs and like, the different American events and maybe some in Europe and whatever. But the ISA was never really... Like it wasn't. No one really focused on. Like Danny yeah. like would fly in and fly out. Like I flew in and flew out. Like, yeah. But then yeah. some people would absolutely love that team concept. But it was just. Yeah. It was such a. There was no real direction. There was no real pathway to that event. So everyone was just like, "Oh, it's just another event. Like, why? Like, exactly. why I exactly that one? And so it cost me money. There's no prize money. Like, exactly. not everybody gets to race. So like, why? Why am I going? But then some people love the whole like opening ceremony thing and like yeah. wearing the team colors and. Yeah, I guess I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I probably should have at the time. But looking back, it was obviously a very fun one. But i had done a lot of that team stuff with other sports. So um, yeah. just trying to get like later, late 20s, you're trying to, so I guess, make an income because otherwise you can't, uh-huh. you can't live. Nobody's paying for you anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I am approaching those stages. And I hate to say it, I really hate it. I do yeah. not like responsibilities as much when you're an adult.
0: Yeah. But no, yeah, got I to... find... <laughs> Sorry. I
1: hear you on that. I hear you on the team thing too. That I definitely, I definitely have to say that experience of the whole opening ceremonies and Slater being so pumped about America. Yeah, he, he was funny on that trip, but it made me appreciate and feel prideful for competing for a country. It was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I I know that in Fiji, I flew in, flew out. I think I raced like a Red Bull event on the Fri on the Saturday, and then I flew to Fiji on the Tuesday, oh, raced my. on the Wednesday, flew back on the Thursday, then flew to Perth, and I think I raced in a ski race the next weekend. And I think I won every race, so it was oh. kind of good for me because I just kept like just ticking along. But then I went to like I, I focused on one. Denmark, I actually did the opening ceremony stuff and I didn't do very well. I actually stayed there with the team for the whole week. And then in China, I got frustrated and I was just like, I'm flying in. I flew in, they canceled my race and put it to the next weekend. I flew out. <laughs> I flew back in the next oh weekend. And then raced. But so it was weird because like, just like just going there, getting the job done and leaving seemed to work for me. So I guess yep. you got to sort of work out what works best for you. And then in a way it works for the team too because without yeah. me flying in, they wouldn't have, I don't think they would have won that overall that year. So it all it all works out.
1: Yeah. You're crazy. That's crazy. I can never do that. Fiona did that in New York. Her and someone else left. Was it you? It was me. It was you and her. Of course it was.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I organized it because we were both, we were both winning the Euro tour and I had to, I spoke to Bella and I spoke to Tristan about trying to like sync the event. So then I could go to and then i got them to move the race from the saturday to the sunday i think it was because we were both leading the euro tour and they wanted us there for the presentation for the euro tour as well and we're like well if we can't race we're not going to go because like it's not really worthwhile yeah. so we like flew in we, like finished the the long distance race in new york yes. um it was like maybe i think we had to leave by 3 p.m to get our 6 p.m flight yeah. drove out to i don't know which airport it was um yeah it flew across to i think we'd uh, oslo or no yeah, something like Oslo, I think it was, and then like transferred to Hamburg. Got picked up, drove out, had like maybe an hour or an hour and a half sleep. Uh, Arthur went as well. Arthur, all his bags and and paddles got lost, of course, because yeah, stuff always goes missing. And um, yeah, then we just like ate lunch. We vomit. I vomited up my lunch up through the race um finished felt terrible i like i finished the race and was like shaking everyone's hand i had to walk away like away from the crowd <laughs> like i ended up like vomiting into the water and that just felt so bad and then eventually I just finished the race yeah that's just...
1: insane but like it's you...
0: amazing like it's still i still won like it was just like how did i know happen?
1: i was just like my whole
0: my whole mindset was just like okay where's t one like same as what you had in um candace that year, like in in the P, in the PPGs, I was like, "What was my going for my third and row?" I was like, "I can just be near one I think he had to beat me by like two, more than two places, and then I, I had a terrible start, and I just gradually I just felt good, and I was playing on this new starboard board, and I felt like it was nice, and yeah, it just all worked out. It was weird, yep. and Fiona one as well.
1: Yes, I remember seeing that and just being like, "You guys are insane." Yeah, this another level. That was crazy.
0: There's just no perfect preparation, really, is there?
1: No. There sometimes you, go for it.
0: you think sometimes you think you're nailing it and then the next time it's like yes. you do the same thing the next time like, yeah terrible i don't know why i did that <laughs> there's no exactly. there's nothing makes sense
1: yep yep just gotta go for it i really feel that you can't control it either
0: yeah well um really appreciate your time today hey, Is there any shout outs you wanted to give before we go off air to sponsors friends family whoever you wanted to give a shout even to yourself to like your Instagram handles and all that sort of stuff. So the viewers and listeners can find out more about you.
1: Well, um, I definitely would like to shout out infinity sup for everything. And specifically Dave Bainey. It was his birthday yesterday, actually. It was um, Yeah. He um, definitely has been probably the most important person in my paddling career in the past three years and, and, and making me so pumped and want to do good and chase my dreams that I didn't think was possible. And um my bikini sponsor company, Poolani Hawaii, um, Vitargo, they have been my fuel source for the past couple of years, really reliable. And um I'm stoked that I have them on my side and obviously my family, my mom, and everyone just that has helped me along my journey, my past coaches, yeah. And and having the opportunity to speak to people like you that um, love the same thing i do and want to progress the sport and hear my story i'm grateful for that so thank you boofy <laughs>
0: no worries yeah it's been super fun to chat to so many um athletes and because yeah. like, like i guess water sports athletes don't really get the time that or like, unless you're like a professional surfer or right. um you're waterman or kite landing or somebody like that you don't really get the exposure that normal sports would get like football or afl or Um, whatever sports are different in popular in different parts of the world like we don't get our stories out there we don't get any of this coverage so it's nice to have a place I guess where there's a whole bunch of different athletes that you know just awesome at what they do and I get to speak to them and I love it because I get to hear about your story and hear about all these different things and there's so many things to learn and um, yeah it's it's just been really really nice
1: it's cool it's fun it's fun to listen to everyone else's story and the fact that you're shining light on stories that a lot of people don't know about like you said Really yeah, cool. absolutely.
0: It's um really really cool, and I think it's Shay Fowdy on Instagram if people want to check you out.
1: Yep, Shay Fowdy. That's my All Instagram. Right.
0: Well, thanks Shay, and thanks to everybody who has been watching the Boothcast. Um, amazing journey, amazing stories. Uh, if you want to check it out, uh, podcast channels, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and a bunch of other ones, but they're the main ones. Uh, If you want to watch any of these videos back, uh, Boothcast um, in the video section on Michael Booth on Facebook. So really appreciate everyone listening. Uh, Like, share, follow, all that good stuff. And Shay, thank you so much again for coming on. It's been really awesome chatting to you. Actually, you had a really good time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. So did I. I'm stoked that I could talk to you. That was awesome.
0: All right, until next time. Thanks, Shay.
1: Thanks.